0: All right, so I know I already released an episode earlier in the week, but here I am all hopped up on Yohimbi and (laughs) Theophilin. I just finished watching an episode of the Rubin Report, and I'm champing at the bit to respond to it. Champing, not chomping, right? So Dave's guests were Michael Shermer of Skeptic Magazine and conservative radio host Dennis Prager. The subject of the discussion was God and morality. Now, you may recall that not all that long ago I released an episode in response to a video Dennis Prager had made for his Prager U channel that pretty much dealt with the same subject matter. Maybe I'll post a link down in the Christ box below, little nod to creationist cat, or maybe I won't, depends on how lazy I feel after finishing this. Now, for the sake of brevity, I will be editing the original video down quite a bit, and I'll be releasing my response in several parts. I'm sure you guys have no interest in listening to me comment on a video that's well over an hour long in its entirety, but hopefully you'll agree that I've edited it in a fair and honest way that doesn't misrepresent any of the parties involved. And in full disclosure, if you're new to the show, I'm a skeptic, a non-believer, an agnostic atheist, if you will, just so you know where I'm coming from. But let's get this show on the
1: road. Uh, but uh, ironically, and I do write about this elsewhere, you could again on the internet, How I Found God at Columbia, the truth is, the, the, I, the, this is, will sound odd, but the biggest single factor in moving me to believe in God has been the secular foolishness that has permeated our society. I was taught at Columbia as a prestigious place by very bright, secular, often non-believers, and I was taught mostly nonsense. And I remember I went crazy thinking, why is there so much nonsense being taught at at an Ivy League university by bright people. Then a phrase from the Bible came into my brain in Hebrew, and it's very well known to people who've studied the Bible, you will know the phrase certainly, Uh, and that is wisdom begins with fear of God.
0: Okay, so a lot to unpack there as Sam Harris is wont to say. So essentially Prager is saying it was the quote unquote nonsense or foolishness permeating secular society that made him really embrace God. A little bit before that, he talks about how he did have an Orthodox Jewish upbringing, but it was his experience in the halls of academia that supposedly really woke him up. Well, I guess firstly I found his statement regarding secular foolishness to be a little vague. I wish he was more specific about just what it was that his professors were saying that he took issue with. Don't think they had safe spaces and trigger warnings back then, so it must have been something else. Kidding put down the pitchforks. I do wish he had been a bit more specific, though. But then he goes on to quote the Bible, saying wisdom begins with fear of God, and recounts how it occurred to him, no God, no wisdom. And I definitely have some issues with that statement or sentiment, and just to let you know, what I'm really focusing on with these clips are the parts of the talk or dialogue that I took issue with. All in all, I found the conversation as a whole to be really valuable and thought-provoking, and it's worth checking out in its entirety on the Ruben Report YouTube channel. So wisdom begins with fear of God. I think in a weird sense, there may be some truth in that statement, although you can also argue that delusion and superstition might begin with fear of God. But I think the argument that he's trying to make is that fear of a higher power can make people behave morally. Maybe that people are more apt to behave themselves and do good if they think there's some cosmic price they'll have to pay for their transgressions. And I think there is probably some truth to that, but at the same time, I think it's a bit of a sweeping generalization. As Prager himself concedes near the end of the conversation, there's also a lot of people who do evil in the name of God, a religious extremists, terrorists, etc. And to his credit, I've also heard him state or admit repeatedly that you don't need to believe in God to do good or to be good, that there's a lot of good and caring non-believers out there. And I guess at the end of the day, if you're someone like me who's a non-believer, the idea of teaching children to fear God in order to reinforce moral behavior, even if it may be somewhat efficacious, seems bizarre and ethically dubious, something akin to teaching children to fear the boogeyman to keep them from getting out of bed at night. I guess if you actually believe in the God of the Bible, it might make a certain sense because if, in your mind, a a God willing to punish moral transgressions in the afterlife really exists, then it makes sense to want to keep your kids on the straight and narrow so they don't burn for all eternity. You might even think it's your moral duty as a parent. And I know Prager's Jewish and not Christian, but he's still implying fear of some kind of divine punishment. Speaking for myself as a non-believer who had a Catholic upbringing, I think being taught such things probably did more harm than good. In my opinion, teaching children that they're constantly being watched by some celestial voyeur, or that if they don't behave, they might end up burning in hell, I think that can be quite damaging. I know I'm not the only atheist out there who still, even though I no longer believe, harbors a small, little superstitious fear of hell. I think that's how powerful childhood indoctrination can be, that it can instill in you lasting fears and neuroses that contradict sober reason. And I've noticed with myself personally that as an adult, having long left literal belief in any religion behind me, I seem to become more morally aware as I get older. I'm not saying that I think parting ways with religion has necessarily made me more moral, but that religion isn't necessary for morality, and it's being aware of and embracing concepts like empathy and compassion that really seem to bring out the best in me, not a superstitious fear of God. And I don't think that fear of God is necessarily enough to keep people from transgressing anyway. At the risk of my own pride, I'm tempted to recount a childhood anecdote. When I was elementary school age, I was afraid of God sending me to hell for masturbating. So I went outside and sat on this big boulder in our backyard that was somewhat whale-shaped. Yes, whale as in a cetacean. And I made a bargain with God that I would never masturbate again if he would spare me. And it was probably later that same day, I was back to masturbating, probably to a rerun of Three's Company. Not sure why I thought God disapproved of masturbation. I was about to go into the Old Testament story of Onan, which I think has more to do with shirking one's familial duty rather than condemning masturbation. But anyway, back to these guys.
1: And then I realized, wow, no God, no wisdom. And that has has permeated my life, in other words, it is the, the, the anti-God crowd that has made me realize how important God is. That's, it's not God didn't appear to me, the religious have not convinced me, the irreligious have convinced me of the centrality of God to to, to the world.
0: So that's interesting. You didn't have the burning bush moment. No, no. I had, no, no, I had be- the
1: opposite. I had a frozen bush. Yeah. Yes, if, if, yes.
2: <laughs> and I even went door to door, because if you're an evangelical, wow. by definition, you're supposed to evangelize, that's what you do. Uh, so, you know, Amway with Bibles, yeah. I, I did it, uh, and uh, and I uh, I liked doing it. And um, and then when I became, uh, when I kind of gave that up, I, I wasn't really a militant atheist, because again, that wasn't really a thing in the late 70s and early 80s when I sort of dropped my religious beliefs. And, uh, you know, and so that, that brings us to this point that uh, atheism isn't really a thing to be, it's just a lack of belief, full stop. Uh, so what do you believe? You know, Science and reason and civil liberties and civil rights and equal treatment under the law, all these kind of enlightenment values that we might call enlightenment humanism or whatever, classical liberalism. You know, those are the things I believe in. I don't believe in atheism because it isn't a world view. It's just, you know, sure. I don't believe in God, full stop, now what? So then it becomes, okay, so are those values that you believe in, equal treatment under the law, women's rights, you know, gay rights, uh, civil liberties, right and wrong, you know, is killing, is murder wrong? So, yes, I believe they're real, and you believe they're real. So the question then is, well, what's the source?
1: Right, and that basically brings <laughs> us to you Before that, I- am doing this video, yeah. Yes, I have a question for you, and the, yeah. it's not a trick or nothing, I'm very curious. It's, it, and I say on, and you, You know, I think you've heard my show on on a few occasions and I think he's been a guest on your show. Yes, absolutely. I I listen to your show. No, 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 I, 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 why not? I mean, you know, (laughs) why not listen to me and why not have you on my show? Okay, Um, so I say, I now say, and I've written on this, uh, the, my, my, the, the question I most want an answer to, or most curious to get an answer to from an atheist, do you hope you're right or do you hope you're wrong?
2: Um, I don't really hope. Uh, I, I, I just sort of go along and, and just try to lead a good life. and right, I'm not hoping for anything, really. I mean, if it turned out there's a God.
1: Yes. Would you uh, be Would you be happy? I mean, are there? Pe- look, there are undoubtedly people you love in your life. So if there is a God and, and the traditional belief there's an afterlife, you would have you would reconnect.
2: Sure. With I would them. be had a, I would be glad about that. Right. Of course.
1: Okay. That's all. Okay. So I actually love
0: this question. It might sound like a gotcha question to some, but I like questions that get me to examine my beliefs. So when I was a kid, a teenager or whatever, and I really started wrestling with the idea there might not be a god or an afterlife... I found the proposition absolutely terrifying. The idea that my consciousness and that of everyone I cared about would just be snuffed out or extinguished upon bodily death, I mean, that was the stuff of nightmares to me. I could think of nothing worse. But nevertheless, probably due to the dearth of evidence for things like a specific god or an afterlife, that was where my reason led me. The idea of living forever seemed like an impossible dream. There was nothing I wanted more. It wasn't until later, after I really had wrestled with these existential issues for so long, that I just eventually became kind of a nerd to the idea of my own death. The idea of my loved ones dying is much more disturbing to me than the idea of me ceasing to be. So at this point, where I have become kind of a nerd to the idea of my own death, would I still be happy if I died and was proven wrong? Well, I guess it would depend on the context. Am I in heaven? Hell? Is the afterlife an enjoyable place? If I was in some idealized form and the afterlife was like the perfect summer vacation with a really good buzz on, then yeah, okay, I'd probably be pretty damn happy I was wrong. And I know I'm probably sounding a little glib with the picture I'm painting of the afterlife, even if it was something really transcendent that we can't really wrap our mortal minds around now, some other deeper reality where you commune with the creator or whatever. Yeah, I think that would be pretty cool. Although, and I think these guys will talk about it in a bit, there is the problem of how do you deal with an eternal existence? Would you eventually go insane or become excruciatingly bored? it's something I've referred to in the past as the horror of eternity. The only workaround I can think of is if there's some kind of safety mechanism that kind of kept you eternally in the present or at least kept you from ever getting bored. And it's funny, I think many people tend to be so disturbed by their own mortality or the idea of their own non-existence that they don't stop to consider the problems posed by the opposite situation being caught in an eternal existence. I mean, what do you do after the first million years? Recreate your or start a new game. Plus, I don't know.
1: Let me tell you why I asked. If that let me, was the reason, if that
0: was the the version that was real, you know what I mean. People well, if God is good, him.
1: there's an afterlife. If God is an idiot, or God is cruel, or God doesn't give a damn about his creation, then there's no afterlife. But on the on the, I make only two leaps of faith. My, it's all I make. That uh, that God uh, exists. That God is the creator, and God is good. And and if if that's the case, then there's an afterlife. That's all.
0: So, I'm back through the magic of editing, and please excuse my voice. I was out partying uh, last night. So, I kind of agree and disagree with Prager here. I think, yeah, there is so much suffering and iniquity in this life that it would make sense for a good and caring God to reward us with something better in the hereafter. But as I think Hitchens said before, and I'm paraphrasing, there could be any number of possibilities. What about an afterlife and no god, or a god and no afterlife, multiple gods, an evil god, and why couldn't an evil god provide an afterlife? All the better, an eternity to torment us, right? And Dennis is Jewish. I've always been under the impression that the Old Testament doesn't have a heck of a lot to say about an afterlife. Maybe a few passing references, things that could be interpreted as referring to an afterlife, God taking Enoch and all that. But mostly we have a a lack of reference to a hereafter, or things like references to Sheol, this gloomy abode of the dead where people are depicted as sleeping. In fact, uh, wasn't it supposedly the case that the Sadducees, an ancient Jewish sect, not to be confused with the Pharisees, actually didn't believe uh, in an afterlife, or at least they didn't believe in a bodily resurrection, as uh, other Jews did? But I agree with Prager in principle, if there is a God, the uh, a good God, the least he, she, or it could do is to try to make things right in the hereafter. But of course that might tempt one to ask, if there is a good God, why all the suffering and misery in the first place? Is this like some sort of cosmic boot camp for the soul? I guess the hackneyed Christian explanation would be original sin or or the fall in the garden, a hideous doctrine that tries to suggest that all of mankind down through the generations being punished for the transgression of two individuals is somehow just or deserved.
1: You can't have a good God and this totally unjust world be the only existence that that would be a cruel God that's all that's or I, an indifferent and God. the only sure. reason by the way I ask it is because and, and and I'm happy you did that because I respect you as you know and and I I'm always puzzled if if an atheist doesn't answer well of course it would be nice or of course I'd like it it, it doesn't un, un, it doesn't undermine your position in the least I think it gives you credibility. That, in other words, against your your desire, nevertheless, your mind has reasoned out there is no God, which is which fine. That-
0: I really respect that response from Prager. I feel that's something that atheists, including myself, are always trying to explain, that a lot of Christians or religious people don't really take into consideration, that many of us wanted or tried to believe, but ultimately, perhaps against what we do Prefer our reason led us elsewhere. And for those of us who had a religious upbringing, the journey from believer to atheist can often be a rather painful or harrowing one. And I think that kind of dedication to truth and reason, that refusal to placate or or pacify ourselves with what we see as myths, uh, no matter how comforting it might be, I I think that deserves respect. Is that completely consistent, though, with the things you believe, because it's sort of that you have a curious mind. So if you found out at the end that it was a little different than perhaps you thought.
2: I I would be curious to know, you know, how was it done, you know, and and what is it that actually happens? This is the subject of my next book, Heavens on Earth, that, that, you know, so I talk about the idea of of uploading the mind into a computer, you know, copying all your memories, and you get to live forever, or uh, how is that different, really, from God, pulling you up out of the grave. What's he pulling up? Because most religions believe, you know, the body stays in the grave and the soul or the copy of you goes to heaven. Well, if it's a copy of me, then it's not really me. And so what's actually going on there? I'd be curious to know how that works, if that's the case.
0: So now I'm actually going to take issue with some of what Shermer just said. Now, despite the fact that I love scientific progress and technological innovation, I am a bit of a critic when it comes to this whole immortality through uploading consciousness idea because, and I agree with Shermer here, I think because of a break in continuity, it would just be a copy or a simulation. It wouldn't be the original you. I still think we should try it, don't get me wrong. I just don't think we should delude ourselves into thinking it's true immortality. Where I disagree with him, even though I'm a non-believer, is his take on the soul being just a copy. I tend to think consciousness is probably just an emergent property of the brain. When the brain dies, it's probably lights out. But for the sake of argument, working under the assumption that there is a soul, why couldn't that same non-physical eternal essence or self travel from the body to the afterlife? Don't most believers assume the eternal soul already resides in the body? Why does Schirmer think it would be a copy? It seems to me that if an eternal soul did exist, there would be the continuity that's missing from the uploading Consciousness concept,
2: and also I do have some issues about heaven, though. I mean, is it boring? I mean, you know, etern- <laughs> eternity is a long time, especially near the end, as somebody <laughs> said. Uh, you know, and and, and 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 you know, as, as Hitch fa- famously said, heaven would be like celestial North Korea. I don't mm. want a dictator that knows every one of my thoughts. So this can't be. I'm thinking of it as a human. That can't be what heaven would be like. So I don't, don't actually even know, Dennis, what what we're talking right.
1: about. Right. I don't either. Yeah. I only know that a good God has figures out how to undo the terrible injustice of this life. That's it. I was almost going to bring up the problem again posed by the
0: idea of a good God creating an unjust world. But I think we touched on that earlier, so I won't bother really getting into it again. But I will say, because I can already hear people out there saying that the injustice in this world is the result of human free will. So don't blame God for it. Well, you could say, well, God gave us free will and the ability to do evil and spread injustice, etc. But also I would say that in the big scheme of things, things like innocent people dying in natural disasters, children developing cancer, uh, horrible birth defects, etc., these things are all unjust too. And you might say, well, they're not unjust, they're just, those are natural phenomena. But if there is a God behind all of this, and he has control over what happens and what kind of world he made, then you could say, yes, it is not just for those types of things to befall humans. And th- those are things that are out of our hands that have nothing to do with free will. Well, I'll quickly offer the caveat that out of our hands, if we're talking about cancers and birth defects that aren't related to exposure to man-made chemicals or contaminants, uh, phalidomide, asbestos, whatever. But I think that's a wrap. I'm gonna end part one here. Not sure when I'll get part two out, but thanks for listening or watching, and until next time. Oh, and once again, if what you saw piqued your interest... You can watch the original conversation in its entirety, of course, at the Rubin Report or on the Rubin Report YouTube channel. Not that Dave needs a little channel like mine plugging his, but uh, hey, gotta give credit where credit is due. Okay, once again, until next time.